So today's Good Friday. Uh, I do want to welcome all those joining us online. What a joy that we can continue to share with others. I can't get away from work as well. But today is a day when we reflect on the cross. And when you stop to think about the cross, what I'd like to know is, what could you say you know about it? I don't know that I'd thought a whole lot about it, but the study for today and what I wanted to really cover was, what do we know about the cross? I kind of think we have some answers, but I don't know if we have the right answers. Do you think it was right for Jesus to die? Have you ever thought about that? Was it okay that God allowed Jesus to die? I've even had somebody ask, was it child abuse? (laughs) It is an interesting comment. I mean, couldn't God have just declared the world forgiven or commanded people to love each other? You ever had those questions? I know, especially as a kid, those are things I, I, I thought about and wondered about. Why did Jesus need to suffer and bleed? These are all valid questions, and what I hope to do is answer them before we leave today. And so what I'd like to do to help you understand why Jesus chose to live among us and to die for us, that's, that's the goal. If we can understand this, I think we'll better understand the true nature of who God is. Uh, so if you have your Bibles, hey, absolutely, I want you to have a Bible on Good Friday too. Uh, we're going to look at John chapter 19 this morning, John chapter 19. I want to take a look at verses 16 through 42, so a little bit longer passage. But I feel like it's worth going through the story of the crucifixion as we then reflect upon the cross. Uh, I'm going to go ahead and invite you to stand too for the reading of God's word today. Simply out of reverence for the fact that God gave his word to us. So John chapter 19, I'm going to start in verse 16 and go through to the end of the chapter. Says so he delivered him over to them to be crucified, so Pilate handing them over to be crucified. So they took Jesus and he went out bearing his own cross to the place called the place of the skull, which in Aramaic is called Golgotha. There they crucified him, and with him two others, one on either side, and Jesus between them. Pilate also wrote an inscription and put it on the cross. It read, Jesus of Nazareth, the King of the Jews. Many of the Jews read this inscription. For the place where Jesus was crucified was near the city, and it was written in Aramaic, in Latin, and in Greek. So the chief priests of the Jews said to Pilate, Do not write the king of the Jews, but rather, this man said, I am the king of the Jews. Pilate answered, What I have written, I have written. When the soldiers had crucified Jesus, they took his garments and divided them into four parts, one part for each soldier, also his tunic. But the tunic was seamless, woven in one piece from top to bottom. So they said to one another, let us not tear it, but cast lots for it to see whose it shall be. This was to fulfill the scripture which says, they divided my garments among them and for my clothing they cast lots. So the soldiers did these things, but standing by the cross of Jesus where his mother and his mother's sister, Mary the wife of Clopas and Mary Magdalene, when Jesus saw his mother and the disciple whom he loved standing nearby, he said to his mother, woman, behold your son. And then he said to the disciple, behold your mother. And from that hour, the disciple took her to his own home. After this, Jesus, knowing that all was now finished, said to fulfill the scripture, I thirst. A jar full of sour wine stood there, so they took, uh, put a sponge full of the sour wine on a hyssop branch and held it to his mouth. When Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Since it was a day of preparation and so that the bodies would not remain on the cross on the Sabbath, for that Sabbath was a high day, the Jews asked Pilate that their legs might be broken, that they might be taken away. So the soldiers came and broke the legs of the first, 
and of the other who had been crucified with him. But when they came to Jesus and saw that he was already dead, they did not break his legs. But one of the soldiers pierced his side with his spear, and at once there came out blood and water. He who saw it has borne witness. His testimony is true, and he knows that he is telling the truth that you also may believe. For these things took place that the scripture might be fulfilled. Not one of his bones will be broken. And again, another scripture says, they will look on him whom they have pierced. After these things, Joseph of Arimathea, who was a disciple of Jesus, but secretly for fear of the Jews, asked Pilate that he might take away the body of Jesus. And Pilate gave him permission. So he came and took away his body. Nicodemus also, who earlier had come to Jesus by night, came bringing a mixture of myrrh and aloes, about 75 pounds in weight. So they took the body of Jesus and bound it in linen cloths with the spices, as is the burial custom of the Jews. Now in the place where he was crucified, there was a garden, and in the garden a new tomb, in which no one had yet been laid. So because of the Jewish day of preparation, since the tomb was close at hand, they laid Jesus there. These are the very words of God. You may be seated this morning. You know, we live in a a performance-based world. Most people operate with the understanding that we get what we have earned. In fact, all of the world's great religions, except Christianity, when you really think about it, they're based on the same principle. Humans, they must do something in order to obtain favor in the blessings of their gods, either through worship, sacrifice, or right living. If you study any of the world religions, they're all based on this, except Christianity. And really, it seems logical. Basically, the thinking is, do good things, and good things happen. Do bad things, and bad things happen. This seems logical to follow this. In Hinduism and Buddhism, this is karma. Uh, If you order your life properly, you offer the right sacrifices, then God will reward you with blessing. And finding God in this system, it's largely up to you. And this is not only logical, it also is appealing because it allows us to remain in control. If you ever consider that, if that's the system, we're in control, right? And so that's part of the struggle, that we can work our way to God. But this is not Christianity, and this is definitely not the story of the cross. Uh, A book, exactly, hallelujah. A book that does a great job of explaining why Jesus became human and had to die on the cross is a book called On the Incarnation. It was written by a man named Athanasius in the third century A.D., So talk about a book written by an old dead guy. It is. And the good news is we believe in the resurrection, so I've asked Athanasius to come and join us this morning. So Athanasius, if you could come join us. He looks a lot like our family life pastor. You look good for 1,700 years old. I feel pretty good for being that old. (laughs) But what I want to do this morning is actually just set up a conversation asking Athanasius the questions to help us better understand the cross. So that was my goal this morning. So Athanasius, thanks for joining us. Uh, Sorry to have plucked you out of eternal bliss. You ever thought about that? Like people love the story of of Lazarus. I don't know about you, but I'll tell you what, I'd be really upset with my sisters if I'm in heaven and they call me back. So I'll tell you that right now. (laughs) Anyways, so sorry. But thanks for joining us anyway, Athanasius. Uh, What I want to do is take a few moments to talk about Jesus coming to earth and dying on the cross. Some common questions people ask is, why did Jesus have to become a human being and suffer and die on a cross? That's one question. And why didn't Jesus just teach us how to live in a way that's pleasing to God? Why is this? Well, it would work 
except uh, mankind had fallen into a state of complete corruption. If humans had merely just broken a law, uh, then repentance would be all that we'd have to do. If it was a matter of ignorance, education would be a good solution for that. But the human problem goes way deeper than just that. Uh, as human beings, we are depraved, we are corrupt, like a disease, and then you cannot cure it with knowledge or with willpower. Okay, so then how did we get into this predicament? Well, that's a very long story. It goes back to the beginning of the world. But I'll make it brief and short. God created humans in his own image. That means that they can create, that they can reason, and uh, that they can know God. So Adam and Eve were created with the freedom to fellowship with God openly, freely. And they were given only one commandment. That they could show their love, their appreciation, and their obedience to God. That they were not supposed to eat of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. That tree symbolized wanting to be God. Because only God really knows good and evil. Uh, as you know, the scriptures say, the warning from Genesis 2.17. Of the tree of the knowledge and good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it you shall die. Well, they did eat of this tree, and they died immediately a spirit, in a spiritual sense. They were cast out of the garden. There was no easy, open fellowship with God anymore. And also, the immediately, the effects of death began in their physical bodies. They were going to ultimately physically perish. But man had to live in a state of corruption from that point on. But God could have just forgiven them, right? Uh, no. Because he'd already given his word. This was the consequence. He couldn't break his law. But on the other hand, God could not let his precious creation just be destroyed. So this is the dilemma. What is God, being good, supposed to do now? But was there no way that the humans could save themselves? Could God demand that they repent? No. Uh, repentance couldn't change what they were in nature, uh, which was corrupt. Even if they ceased from sinning, which they could not, they would still be corrupt on the inside and still under that law of death. So then what's the solution to the problem? It's not what as much as it is who is the solution. Only the word of God himself, the word of God who in the beginning made all things out of nothing, can solve this human problem. So for this purpose, God who was not limited by a physical body, who was not under the power of sin, entered our world. He took to himself a body, a human body like ours. But why? I mean, couldn't God have appeared in some other form? Why did he have to have a human body? He took a human body because human bodies are liable to death um, and the corruption of death. So he surrendered his body to death for all of us. And uh, he did this because of his sheer love for us. You know John 3.16. So that in death, in his death, that is, all of us might die. We can participate in the death of Jesus. And then the law of death would be satisfied and abolished. It would be like straw in a fire. Death is gone. So he took on a body so that he could die. Is that right? Uh, yes. Corruption could not be removed through anything other than death. 
And so Jesus assumed a body that was capable of death. And by surrendering to death the body that he had taken, he made an offering and a sacrifice which was free from every stain. He abolished death so that his human brothers and sisters, us, would have the offering of an equivalent. So he fulfilled in his death all that was required. So you stress the words, the offering of an equivalent. What, what do you mean by that? Complete corruption, which was the state of us after the fall, could only be abolished through a sacrifice of complete incorruption. And Jesus was sinless. Hmm. So what does that do for, for you and for me then? It reverses. Jesus reverses the effects of the fall. He reverses the, reverses the fall through his death on the cross. And that's something that we could not do for ourselves. Uh, we would have to be sinless, which that's impossible. So by the sacrifice of his own body, Jesus did two things. One, he put an end to the law of death that barred our way to God. And he made a new beginning of life for us with hope of resurrection. Jesus destroyed death. So let me switch to a related topic then. Why did Jesus have to die the way he did on a cross? Couldn't he have died some other way and still accomplish the same goal? Jesus had to die a very real, a very public, a very undeniable death so that everyone uh, could see. If, if there were no witness and there were eyewitnesses, if there was no witness, then who would believe that he actually rose from the dead? You can't just say, I died, now look, I'm alive. What Jesus did had to, be, uh, had to be undeniable, or else he's just somebody that tells tales, a teller of tales. But why in such a shameful way? Crucifixion is the most painful and humiliating form of execution the world has ever known. Couldn't he have died a more honorable death? I, I, we abhor the cross. It, it, it is horrible, disgraceful way to die. And so that's right that we should abhor it. But a marvelous and mighty paradox occurs. The death which was inflicted on him to bring about dishonor, disgrace, has become a glorious monument of death's defeat. They tried to kill him in shame, but the cross stands for all eternity as a monument of the defeat of death. Hmm. And one final point. If Jesus had not been crucified, how could he reach out to us? Because it's only on a cross that a man dies with his arms outstretched. Hmm. Thank you. Can we thank Athanasius? Hmm. God who is completely free. He chose willingly to enter our world as a vulnerable child and to endure insult, torture, and execution as an adult. That's why we celebrate Christmas and Easter the way that we do. You know, we, we have this phrase at Easter, you know, he's risen, and what do we say? He's risen indeed. And, and I had mentioned on a, a Christmas service that we can say he was born, he was born in a manger. It's incredible to think the way God came. And it's incredible the way that he offered himself as a sacrifice. God did not have to do this. 
if uh, Anath- uh, Ath- uh, Athanasius is right in saying that the only way to solve the human problem, which is corruption, alienation from God, loss of the image of God, was by God stepping in himself, that still does not mean that God had to do it. I don't know if you've thought about that. There's nothing that compelled God to save us in this way. In choosing to save us in this manner, God risked unrequited love. What would happen if humans rejected his love? What would happen? John tells us, here's what it says. He was in the world and the world came into being through him, yet the world did not know him. He came to what was his own and his own people did not accept him. This is a powerful passage because it contains several essential truths. Here's the truth. The first is this. The world came into being through him. So God created the world through Jesus. Second is, is that he was in the world. God freely chose to enter our world, to breathe our air, and subject himself to all the pain and suffering of human life. And the third is this. The world did not know him. The glory of the second person of the Trinity was hidden. And God did this through extreme humility. Extreme humility. And finally, it says his own people did not accept him. Unrequited love might be the most painful of all human experiences. To love and not be loved in return is a terrible thing. To love someone and not be loved in return is a deep hurt, an excruciating ache. God experienced the pain of unrequited love. And some people, they they have a hard time with this notion that God could feel pain or feel anything at all. This narrative seems to protect God's power. I think that's why people would kind of cling to that. But if God loves others, and Athanasius already said it, God so loved the world, so we know that God loves others. What that means is he must necessarily feel the pain of unrequited love. I've noticed that people have a trouble believing God could feel pain or joy. They also have trouble believing Jesus could feel uh, pain or uncertainty or even joy. Some questions. Did Jesus laugh? Uh, did he laugh? I, I, what's that? Somebody gave an answer. I think he did. Did he ever feel awkward? Did Jesus ever get his feelings hurt? The scriptures tell us he experienced human life in its fullness. That's what scripture tells us, so I suspect he did. I think we have trouble with God feeling joy and pain because we think that these things are beneath God. Being vulnerable, we think, seems weak, but maybe not. Maybe vulnerability is true strength. Maybe sacrificing yourself for the good of another is not a sign of weakness, but it's the greatest power the world has ever known. The cross of Jesus is God's way of doing all he could do for us. And yet we often wonder, does God really love us? Have you ever had that question? Does God love me? Am I important to God? Does God care about me? Can I ask you a question this morning? What more could he have done for you? You don't ever need to ask the question, does God love me? What more could God have done for you? Let's go back to our original question today. Why did Jesus have to die? And it's the wrong question because Jesus did not have to die. He chose to die. The Father, Son, and Spirit, they worked in harmony to reach out to a fallen and broken world in order to restore it. God did for us what we could never do for ourselves. The cross is the symbol of God's love and sacrifice. Jesus assumed and healed our human condition, and in doing so, he demonstrated the depths of God's love for all of creation. He demonstrates God's love for you and for me in the cross. That's what the cross means. So on Easter Sunday, as we say, he is risen. And of course, you would say he's risen indeed. 
I'd say on Good Friday, we could say, Jesus loves me. And you could say, he loves me indeed. Jesus loves me. Absolutely. That's what we can celebrate on Good Friday. May the cross be a symbol to you of God's love. Easter is for everyone because Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago for us all. Not because he had to, but because he wanted to. May we understand the cross. What we're going to do today is we're going to close by taking communion together, an opportunity to remember with thankfulness that Jesus chose to go to the cross for us. You know, so often we look at communion and we read the, the passages that Paul would say, examine yourselves, and that's important. But can I say, as you examine yourself at the same time, can you be thankful for the cross? Communion should be part celebration to say, thank you, Jesus, for your broken body. Thank you for your shed blood. So we can celebrate in communion as well. So I'm going to invite, uh, Shelly's going to help me this morning and some of our deacons. And we'd like to serve you communion this morning. We do communion a little bit different on Good Friday and, and Christmas Eve, uh, mostly because we just want a chance to serve you. So I'm going to invite the Sloans and the Gaineses to come. My kids can help serve too. Come on, guys. So we're going to serve you this morning. So what we're going to do is uh, just take time, and maybe we could just play some music um, from the back this morning. But uh, here in a moment, we'll open up the trays, and we just want you to come out from your rows to grab your, your communion elements. Kids, what I'd encourage you to do is go ahead and join your parents. Uh, one of the, the joys of these kind of services is we get to celebrate in family. Uh, so parents, enjoy the opportunity to take communions with your kid. And uh, so let's go ahead and do that. If we can play some music, feel free to come. Take the elements. Uh, take some time to pray and lead, if you've got kids here this morning, lead them in thankfulness of, of the fact that Jesus died on the cross 2,000 years ago. So let's take communion.